the American Academy of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgeons did a study. It was actually a while ago now. Um, and, and they found that even within two years, I think it was like 2015 to 2017. Um, so, you know, still social media was very prevalent, but it's even more so now. So goodness knows what these what the data would say now. But 10, there was a 10% rise in young people wanting to have plastic surgery as a result of um, uh, Instagram or, or social media filters. Um, and there's this sort of coined phrase, Snapchat dysmorphia, which is sort of, you know, it's sort of an industry term now. Um, because we do see it. We see these people coming in, um, showing a picture, a, a very photoshopped picture of themselves, saying that that's what they want to look like. I founded the BeWell Collective, a not-for-profit organization that aims to bring nutritional education and mental health support to the fashion and creative industries. I believe the topics we discuss throughout our series are relevant to whatever industry that you work in or any issues that you might be facing. Because as a collective, together, we are stronger. Welcome to Live Well, Be Well with your host, Sarah Ann Macklin, and I'm thrilled to bring you an episode today surrounding anti-aging and skin health. Now, age is a natural part of life, and there are things that we can do to help with our aging process and also help with our self-confidence that this is, as I said, a part of life. Many of us face primary challenges in deciding what we eat to maintain youthful skin, tools that we can buy, aesthetic treatments. But how much of this does actually make a difference and what is true and what is false? To help me explore this further, I speak to Dr. Catherine Jennings, who is a medical aesthetic doctor who specializes in skin health and anti-aging. And we explore today facts from fiction on all things regarding the aging process. Catherine, welcome to Live Well, Be Well today. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I'm thrilled to have you on. How are you today? Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really well, thank you. It's great to see you today. It's so lovely to see you on the sunny, sunny Tuesday morning while we're recording this, which is perfect because we're going to be discussing all things skin health today on the podcast and I feel like all of a sudden we've had this huge heat wave in the UK. So actually, we need to be a little bit more aware of our skin health because Absolutely. skin damage is one of the biggest things that we're going to come on to today. Mm. So before we unravel, you know, the aging process, things that can damage our skin and things that we can do to help prevent anti-aging, can you give all of my wonderful listeners a brief intro into who you are and what you do? Ah, yes. So my name's Dr. Catherine Denning. Um, I'm an aesthetic doctor or a cosmetic doctor, um, and I specialize um, in skin health, um, in cosmetic dermatology and in injectables. And I own a practice on Wimpole Street in London called Clinic 1.6. I have been doing this now for the best part of a decade. Um, And before that, I was... um, training in surgery um in specifically plastic surgery um with a focus on anatomy so uh, my the past sort of uh, since i've qualified pretty much i've i've had a passion for um 
the anatomy of the face and the anatomy of aging um, and it's wonderful that I get to use that knowledge and that passion every single day in my career now so yeah um, I really enjoy what I do I'm very lucky. And how did you get into specializing into aesthetics? It's a really interesting question that I feel like many people would love to hear. Yeah so I, I funny enough I actually sort of slightly fell into it um, so my background was always surgical all through my training or even all through medical school. I was, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a surgeon. And then sort of the latter years of training, I was like, okay, plastic surgery is what I want. I really enjoy the reconstructive element. I really enjoy learning about skin. Um, and there is an element of cosmetics um, within plastic surgery, even NHS plastic surgery, um, where you obviously want to give someone the best result cosmetically as you possibly can, whether that's they've had a burn or they've injured themselves in a traffic collision. Um, you want to be able to give them as, as cosmetic a result as possible. So that side of stuff always really interested me, things like wound healing um, and and the best ways to um, to suture so that they come out with the, the, the most minimal scarring, as an example. Um, and I actually took a year out of, of training um, and did a year um, lecturing in anatomy. And it was then I really, uh, really sort of fueled the passion for um, facial anatomy um, and something that we didn't really know a huge amount about for, for a while. And actually, and only really, I'd say in the last sort of five, 10 years, have we started fully understanding is the anatomy of aging. Um, and while I was doing this, um, this lectureship um, at uh, Queen Mary University, Barts in the London uh, Medical School, um, I met this wonderful girl who was a plastic surgeon as well. Um, and I was teaching her um, dissection anatomy. And um, she sort of opened this world up of aesthetics to me, which I had, wasn't all that aware of, you know, sort of, uh, you know, nearly 10 years ago now. Um, and it, it, it just started this sort of, you know, interest in my mind. And I thought, oh, OK, this is sort of marrying a few different things that I like. I like the, you know, using my hands and I like the aesthetics and I like the um, the anatomy side of stuff. And actually, this is this is marrying kind of a lot of those passions together. So that's when I started um, building slowly a practice. And now that's what I do full time. And I have done that for, for, for several years. So so, yeah, a funny journey. And I think often in life, you never quite know where it's going to end up. But um, for me, it's all worked out for the best because I absolutely love what I do now. And I feel like I really bring a lot of value to people's lives. So it's great. You really do. I think, you know, when you mention plastic surgeons, you kind of already have this image in your mind from certain A-list celebrities, which we're going to come on to a bit later for anyone who's watched the Friends Reunion. And you might go, that's what you automatically think about. But actually, there's it's so different to what is an, the automated image in your head. And I really want to mm. delve into the aesthetic side of it a bit later. And just it's not all about making you look as false as possible. There are some fantastic anti-aging treatments you can have, but also I want to talk about the pre-aesthetic stage, which you can actually control through lifestyle factors, things that you Absolutely. might not be able to control, such as your genetics, all things like that. So let's start <laughs> with how can we look younger? I think that is like the main question that so many people want to hear is, what is it? How can we stop? How can we stop the aging process, Catherine? <laughs> so, so it's interesting, actually. So I think they're two slightly different questions. How to look younger and how to look the best for your age are two slightly different things, I think. Mm. And I think the latter is the most important thing. Um, I think I always start, often start my consultations with, it's really important to remember that we're very lucky to be 
even you know having the opportunity to age there are plenty of people in this world that their lives are cut short and they don't get the privilege of getting older and aging so I think aging should be embraced that's the first mm. thing to say I think um, the second thing I guess really is to understand actually what aging is and and why it happens and what that means in terms of what you're looking at um, in front of you so aging we tend to split into two different um, categories we call it intrinsic aging and extrinsic aging and you sort of slightly touched on both of those things earlier so intrinsic aging is I guess the, the analogy I give is if, if you if you put yourself in a box um, all of your life um, and you opened it up in at 90 years of age um, you would still have aged okay so there's there's biological and chemical and genetic processes that go on that are largely uncontrollable and would happen no matter what you did in your life okay so you will age no matter what you do okay and then there's the extrinsic factors of aging, um, which we're going to go into a lot more detail about. Um, so 90% of, of extrinsic um, cosmetic aging is due to UVA. So, so UV damage from the sun. It's just one of the spectrums of light um, that comes from the sun. And it's the most damaging in terms of DNA, collagen um, and, and um, skin cell damage. So 90% of your photo aging is due to the sun. Um, and then you have that rest of that 10% is to do with other external factors, things like pollution, stress, which we'll go over um, a bit later, um, nutrition, which again, we're going to go into a little bit more detail. Um, so these things are things that you can, you know, optimize as much as possible. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's 10% of your aging. Okay. So you can do all of these things and, and you can work really hard at it, but, but it's still, you're still going to age. So it's, it's, I guess, about having a healthy balance of wanting to look the best for your age, um, but also, you know, accepting that it's going to happen, whatever. And, and we can't be too precious, I think, personally, about every tiny little line and wrinkle because you then don't ever enjoy your life. So <laughs> there's definitely a healthy balance to be had. Yeah, right, exactly. So you're just going to age more. <laughs> exactly. I go that's such a big percentage, ten percent. Um, mm. as a and ninety percent, you said was was the, was the sun damage. So that is one of the yeah. that's one of the biggest factors. So before we get on to that, and there's so many things I want to ask you about sunscreen, is um is our genetics. We all have that friend who, no matter what they do with their skin looks fantastic um and it's the same with body types no matter what somebody could eat they still look yeah. beautiful and have the best body and that is just simply down to genetics and I think there is a part of this all of this conversation that we just have to have self-acceptance and happy with how we look and what we've been given and that's sometimes one of the hardest things mm, anyone absolutely. can accept I think mm -hmm. so how much does genetics play a role and things like genetics ethnicity in the aging of our mm. skin Mm -hmm. Really good question. So, uh, yes, plays a big role. Um, I think we all um, are aware of, um, you know, the sort of the skin color spectrum. It definitely affects uh, the rate at which we visibly see someone's facial aging, um, and that's skin aging really. So, so um, you can kind of split facial aging into layers. I like to split it into layers. So, skin aging is a little bit different to skeletal aging and to aging of the fat pads and things like that. So, if we focus on on skin aging just for now. Like I said, 90% of, of, of photo damage and photo aging of the skin layers is due to UVA. Um, and one of our natural and innate um, protective factors of, you know, protecting against UVA damage is melanin in our skin. 
So your melanocytes, which sit in the dermis, make, make pigment. Okay. So that natural innate um, sun protection is obviously going to be much higher in people of Afro-Caribbean descent. Um, uh, you know, when you compare it to someone like me, I'm what we call a Fitzpatrick type one. The Fitzpatrick scale is used by dermatologists the world over. It's really not a great classification of skin type or skin color, but it's sort of what we deal with at the moment. Um, and I'm classified as a skin a Fitzpatrick type one to two. So essentially what that means They're is quite light. I'm very fair very fair skinned, exactly, light skinned, sure, I should say, um, you know, my, my ability to produce melanin naturally is limited. Um, I'm quite moly, I'm quite freckly, I have definitely ready tones to my hair. It means that my the, the way that my skin ages is going to be very different to someone like um, one of my very good friends, Ghanaian friend, who has, um, you know, very dark skin. She, you know, all through her life has... Um, she actually she's very good at looking after her melanin her melanated skin but she's never worried nearly so much about putting sunscreen on her face every single day as, as I used to as when I was growing up um so you know there is definitely differences in genetics and particularly in skin color that means that photo aging will be different in different people now having said that there are elements of photo aging that are made more difficult with people with, with, with more pigment in their skin. And one of the things that we find with aging is that the melanocytes go a little bit haywire often as we get older and the more sun damage that happens to them, the more likely they are to over and underproduce and, and distribute unevenly pigment in the skin. So actually I see photo damage in very light skinned people that looks more like crepiness, collagen depletion, um, fine lines. Whereas actually in my more highly melanated uh, patients, I'm seeing more melanin distribution problems. So melasma, pigmentation, sun damage problems from that perspective. So we just, I wouldn't say necessarily one or other skin type ages better or worse. They just age differently. And that's definitely due to the genetics, as you said. Yeah, that's really interesting. So it shows really the importance of skin damage, which is something when I think we're all younger, we don't actually, well, I never used to take seriously at all. No, not at um, all. And it's only as I get older, I'm more aware of the sunscreen that I should be putting on every day. So should we actually be wearing SPF every day, even through the winter months and or when we're sat in front of zoom like as we are now talking as everyone's got zoom fatigue in the last year or looking on our mobile phones is that the same kind of damage or not or is that different so so in answer to your first question about whether we should be using sunscreen every day i, I mean if you're worried about your the rate of aging of your skin then i would say absolutely you should be wearing a good sunscreen a standalone sunscreen so not relying on moisturizers makeup that have sunscreen in them um every single day even in the winter because we know that uva is present i'm sitting now you can't see but i have a window to my right <laughs> and a window in front of me and i'm sitting inside and yes okay it is quite a bright day outside but actually this room's not very well lit in terms of sunlight i'm still being irradiated by uva as we speak so even in the winter if you're sitting in your office it's anywhere near a window you have uva damage happening all the time now that's to say you know if, if you're not so worried about aging, then I wouldn't worry about it so much. Um, mm. And obviously it's a very different kettle of fish 
wearing sunscreen in the winter than it is in the summer. Everyone really should be protecting their skin in the summer months. This is we're talking about the UK here, obviously, because summer and winter is going to vary throughout the world in terms of UVA exposure. But in, in the UK, I would say absolutely we should be definitely wearing sunscreen every day, particularly in the summer. Um, but yeah, and and actually, you know, that that sort of um day-to-day -day protection is going to be your best friend in terms of age prevention um, mm. at, later down the line. And we know that things like um, collagen production depletes and um, elastin depletes from, you know, the early ages of sort of the early 20s. So it's not like, you know, you hit to a certain age, like 30 or 40, where you should start worrying about it. Actually, we should really be thinking of wearing sunscreen daily from, you know, day one, really. Yeah. And what about Zoom and things like, you know, the lights mm. from your computers and being on your phone? Because sure. we're having so much increased phone time as well. Sure. I mean, all yeah. of us are aware of Zoom fatigue in the last year. That's now become a very topical yeah. saying. And yeah. many of us are on social media. I mean, myself included. Does that affect our skin? Yeah, jury's out a little bit on that one. I think the likelihood is, yes, it is probably affecting our skin. The research is not all that conclusive. And there's a lot of, and, and it's a bugbear that I have, <laughs> and I think you share this bugbear, yeah. is that I make decisions based on, on, on scientific evidence. I mean, there's not a huge amount of evidence, really good evidence out there to suggest that your the light from your, your laptop, the light from your phone are causing photo aging. Having said that, you know, the likelihood is probably there is some, um, you know, logically there is there is some photo damage that you'll be getting from the blue light in your screen. It's not UV um, damage. It is blue light, which is a very different spectrum of light. Um, but there's a lot of branding and marketing in a lot of sort of uh, sunscreens out there that say, yes, this protects you from your laptop light and things. We, we just don't know if that's the case or not. So, I mean, I think if you're worried about it, then, yeah, absolutely, um, we should be using a, a sunscreen. And actually, if you use it habitually as part of your daily routine, when you brush your teeth, make sure you also put your sunscreen on, then you'll be pre protecting yourself against your laptop and UVA. So, you know, what have yeah. you got to lose? <laughs> I love that. We're so, I, this is going to be a real fad busting podcast yes, I feel like I because, love a fan bus oh, it's so good and I mean you know some of these obviously I have no idea on as well so I am very interested to know what's true and what's not <laughs> so before we leave sunscreen which we will get on to the next parts of anti-aging but it's you know 90% of causing skin damage is down to essentially the sun and UVA yeah, damage absolutely yeah so obviously sunscreen is very important now that's a big market at the same time. Now, is mm -hmm. there a difference? Can you tell me this? Is there a difference between organic sunscreen mm -hmm. and or non-organic, shall I say, um, which is fundamentally quite different, I guess, from the food and nutrition world in the terms of when we're talking about organic produce, but yeah. the ones that have chemicals in the ones don't. Because I know there's links with environmental factors and obviously causing problems with our coral, mm -hmm. but is it also problematic more for our skin or is this just mm. bad? Oh. So, so a really, really good question. And it's a really commonly misunderstood thing. So I tend to split sunscreens into um, physical and chemical. Now, that's a bit of a misnomer in itself because everything is a chemical, right? Water is a chemical. We're made up of chemicals. So mm. I, the term chemical, I think, can be really, there's a lot of... Um, Misleading can be really misleading and, and it's and it can be made to be very emotive when actually everything is a chemical and I think that's really important to remember so 
in terms of sunscreens, um, the physical versus the chemical. So physical uh, contains titanium dioxide um, and zinc oxide normally. And, and those are the ingredients that are absorbing the skin's rays. And again, it's this common misconception that um, physical sunscreens versus chemical and physical bats away the, the UV and chemical absorbs it. And actually, majority of the way that the physical sunscreens work actually is also to absorb the UV. Um, Chemical sunscreens do exactly the same. So they're just using different ingredients just to absorb that that sun, that um, UV uh, ray before it hits your skin, essentially, is what it's doing. Okay. And in terms of firstly, safety to humans, there is no safety concerns around either physical or um, chemical sunscreens. Um, there's been a lot in the press recently about chemicals and sunscreen and how much is absorbed into the bloodstream and is it dangerous and the use of benzenes and whether they're carcinogenic or not. And actually the answer is they're all very safe because the the dose of, of something is what makes a poison, okay? So these chemicals, so to speak, that are in a chemical sunscreen are at such low doses and are absorbed into systemically to us in such low doses that there's absolutely no harm done to humans at all okay um so it's really that's a really important thing mm. for me because actually what i find is most of my darker skin patients uh, they need to wear a chemical sunscreen more often than not. And so if you're saying to people, no, a chemical sunscreen is bad for your skin, you're essentially saying to people with darker skin, you've got no option because you, you, chemicals are going to be bad for your skin. And it's just wrong. OK, it's, just, it's a lot of misinformation around it. And it's dangerous because it means that people then just don't use it. Um, in terms of um, different skin types, I would say if you're very sensitive skin, if you have rosacea, eczema, then I probably would stick to using a physical sunscreen um, because we know things like zinc, titanium, they're actually very healing for the skin's natural skin barrier. And some of those chemical elements can be irritant to people that have an impaired skin barrier, but that's not the majority of people. Mm. Um, so I think in terms of sunscreens, you use what whatever's best for you um you know whatever works whatever you feel comfortable wearing whatever sits nicely on the skin whatever goes well with your makeup just use it it's better to use it than not okay with a lot of the rhetoric around chemical sunscreens is actually particularly for darker skin types chemical sunscreens are the only things that they can really tolerate on their skin because mm -hmm. the cast that is given by titanium and um zinc oxides um it leaves a very white cast. I mean, even I, as a, as a very fair skinned person, as a light skinned person, sorry, you know, when I put it on, I, even I get a bit of a white cast and, you know, yeah. I'm probably as, as light as they come. So, you know, a lot of my dark skin, so a lot of true. my dark skinned patients ca can't really use um, physical sunscreens. There's loads of brands. And actually, thank God now it's been highlighted that, that, that a lot of dark skinned people for a long time didn't have options for sunscreen mm. that didn't mm. leave them with a white cast. And now there are plenty out there. And that even just like, um, even a lot of high street brands, so things like uh, Helia Care, um, La Roche-Posay, um, I love, there's, there's a brand called The Altruist, which is really reasonably priced. Um, and 
uh, and is made by a dermatologist. And, and he, the whole point of his um, making this brand was so that anybody can access sunscreen, um, no matter how rich, no matter how poor, no matter what their, sun type, th their skin type was. So if you go on his website, I think it's just altruist.co.uk or .com, whatever, Google it anyway, The Altruist. And um, maybe we could put the link in the show notes. Yeah, actually. yeah, we um, can do that. And, and he's just got um, an amazing range. It's really reasonably priced. He does like a bulk pack for families so that you can put sunscreen on your children for not very much amazing. money. Um, yeah. So And he does an invisible mist, which is brilliant for darker skinned people. I've actually, there's a post on my um, Instagram all about um, sunscreen for darker skin types. Um, and what that. ones I recommend. Yeah, because um, there's, there's actually loads... And a, a colleague of mine, um, Deja, who runs the Black Skin Directory, um, who's just been so influential on um, particularly sunscreens for, for dark skin types. Um, she's um, She also gives amazing advice, any skincare advice, and busts loads of myths for, for, for people with um, skin of colour, um, because there's so much misinformation, again, just about skincare for skin of colour, which is just, I mean, it's just so upsetting this is another to podcast. see. another <laughs> I think it might be. Um, and I would 100% um, recommend uh, following Deja um, on, on, on Instagram and, and the Black Skin Directory if you are someone with a skin of colour um, that uh, wants to demystify skincare, but also learn more about kind of good sunscreens for skin of colour. She's got a great, um, great directory of, of brands that she thinks is, is skin friendly for people of colour amazing I'm definitely going to be looking at her and also I think this is an I think this is another podcast because I just didn't yeah. realize how you know I did realize how important the skin damage in the sense relation mm. to the sun was in UVA but I mean 90 percent I mean I'm glad that we're covering a large part of this podcast on it because that is actually yeah. fundamentally how you're going to reduce the aging process not stop it but reduce is a big word but leading mm. on to that very small 10 percent um there's so many different factors that play in that, such as exercise, food, stress, Absolutely. sleep. Absolutely, yeah. And we could have a three hours talking about that and, and, and the <laughs> fundamental things that can help influence it. But, you know, quickly going over that with food, which is obviously one that I've always been very interested in. And as you said, you know, when you are looking at things that you're interested in, you're learning about, I do remember looking at a lot of skin mm. health and thinking, oh, what would help me? Um, and that you do really get into it. So regarding the food, now there is a lot of health halos and it's a word that I use a lot around superfood skin products that you can mm -hmm, use on your skin, mm -hmm. but also that you can ingest. And there's a lot of magazine articles written bloggers talking about certain foods that can help elevate and boost collagen and all of these things mm, now from a medical doctor's point of view he specializes in skin health can you talk about food and skin health from an evidence-based background like what does work sure. and what doesn't work yeah. really I mean, I think, again, <clears throat> like you say, there's a lot of information, a lot of misinformation out there about the relationship between um, food and skin. And particularly at the moment, the gut and skin as well. So obviously those are all very um, highly interlinked. Now, there is more and more evidence, obviously, that gut health is important for lots of aspects of our, of our general health, and that includes skin health. Um, what in terms of interpretation that means clinically, we're not quite sure at the moment. We know there are definitely foods um, that suit some people better than others. So there's a lot around things like, um, 
you know, people often come to me with acne and they say, oh, I've cut out dairy, but it hasn't helped. And actually, that's probably because it's only about one to two percent of people that dairy affects their skin. So, you know, it's I think that's the first thing I want to iterate is that skin and food is going to be largely very varied in terms of individual ingredients as to how people react to them. Hmm. My general mantra, though, is what is healthy for you and healthy for your body is going to be healthy for your skin and therefore good for it. So having a really well balanced diet, lots of plant based foods, lots of, um, you know, because they're high in in um, antioxidant based, they're all going to be really good for your skin. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say, obviously, eat loads of carrots. <laughs> oh, my God, can we and, uh, quickly... You know, um, faster fat here because I think yes, this is one yes. that I'm dying to get out. Yeah, um, come on. I knew you'd want to touch on this. <laughs> I just love it. It's so good. Okay, so um, beta carotene. Let's yes, talk exactly. about yeah. beta carotene, which is that, okay, I told you this story once and I'm going to say it now on the podcast because I think it's one of the best stories <laughs> I've ever heard from one of my professors. When I, so beta carotene is um, what is made for vitamin A. So it's, you have in a lot of orange types of foods, so orange pigment in foods, so sweet potatoes, carrots, all of these things are very high in beta carotene. Now it is an antioxidant, but also it's been kind of hailed as you can have it as protection for your skin because it does help mm. create a, a, a natural, I would say, SPF, but one that you don't want to use as an SPF. Yeah, um, <laughs> certainly wouldn't rely on that, no. Would not rely on it. And so some people have taken this to quite an extreme and actually think, well, if I eat loads and loads and loads of beta-carotene food, so orange-rich pigmented foods, then I will be naturally, um, you know, covering myself in, in, in sun protection. So my professor, when I was at university, said, there was one person that she knew, and I obviously very much believe, because this is my professor telling me this, who wanted to see if their skin actually did change to the color orange, because the more that you eat, that's why you can look like you sometimes you might have a slight tanning effect. One person ate so many watsits that they actually generally turned orange. <laughs> <laughs> and it's never left me, that story. It's also the, the, like the idea that what's it's also might be good for your skin. Like that's just so funny. <laughs> it's just the best thing I've ever heard, and I just think that made me want to be like, if I eat many carrots, will I turn orange? And orange, um, yeah. And I mean, it's one of the, like the best fads ever. Obviously, it does change your pigmentation slightly, but it's not going to protect you. It's not going to be your natural sunscreen. And obviously, we now no, know how important no. it is. But one of the fads that is he heavily linked is. I see in articles all the time, eat loads of beta carotene rich food because they're going to protect you from yeah. the sun. And yeah. there is a slice of truth in that statement. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, not going to protect it's you. Certainly not, it's certainly not, not going to be harmful for your skin. I mean, you know, eating antioxidant rich foods is going to be, you know, is going to be beneficial for your skin. But like you say, it's very multifactorial and you can't rely on nutrition as a medicine that cures all. And I think that's something Absolutely. in social media particularly is really, um, it's a difficult topic at the moment because it's, it's really, there's a really big rhetoric around how nutrition can can solve you know all problems mm. and you know yes of course having good nutrition is a really really important part of health um, and and indeed skin health but to say 
if you eat lots of carrots you you don't need to wear sunscreen is a completely it's like another step in the in the direction of misinformation so yeah so like I said I think you know obviously a, a diet rich in fiber a diet rich in probiotics a diet rich in antioxidants beta carotens um, flavonoids is going to be good for your skin but again I just wouldn't get too het up on it if you can try and have a balanced diet then fantastic but you have one chocolate bar uh, you know in that week it's not gonna you know it's not gonna be the be all and end all it's not gonna suddenly age you by five years you know we do know that sugar um, and sugar sorry I should say really sugar balance in the skin so glucose balance in the in the in the blood system um, we know that that can affect skin and particularly things like acne um, insulin resistance um, polycystic ovarian syndrome people like that are much more likely to be sensitive to um, spikes in glucose and that we know can affect the skin and and there are some sort of you know uh, there is but the beginnings of understanding around a glycosylation and skin aging but again we're not really at the stage where we can withdraw proper clinical advice from that evidence um so again balanced diet is the way forward for healthy skin and that's the thing whole grains plant-based sources yeah, mediterranean absolutely. style approach you know mm. all of these things are really important and so is, is water it's one of the things that you know is is fundamental to our skin health is hydration yeah, and it's absolutely. one of the simplest things sometimes i think we can get so bogged down in the nitty-gritty things that we should be changing and actually it's some of the simplest things that can have the biggest effect and i know if i wake up and i'm dehydrated i can see it in my skin yeah absolutely yeah no you're so right hydration is so so important it's important for everything but particularly while it's hot at the moment definitely um keeping well hydrated throughout the day is going to be super super important for your skin health i couldn't agree more going on from our diet something else that i just want to pop in there before we leave is around fat loss and fat Mm -hmm. gain and how that how Mm. can you know if you are somebody who is on more of a restricted diet and you've lost a lot Mm -hmm. of weight some people can Mm -hmm. actually look like they've aged can you explain Mm. can you explain the importance behind not losing too much weight for anti-aging and obviously gaining weight as well yeah of course so we touched a little bit earlier on on my approach to um to aging of the face so it's done i i approach it in layers okay and one of the really main important layers two two layers in fact of of the face are fat layers um, and you have what we call a superficial fat layer which is a bit closer to the skin and then a deep fat layer which is sort of against the bone and that plays a huge role in the structural integrity of the face okay so um if you lose a lot of that fat from um, various areas of the face, it can be extremely aging. Um, so I see a lot of people that do a lot of like cardio, a lot of running, or that have, like you said, lost weight in, over quite a short period of time. And often they do have a much more aged appearance to their face. Um, and that's because they've lost that um, structural integrity. Um, so therefore the skin has less support. So therefore you start getting things like, um, you know, lines forming more shadows around the nose to, to mouth lines um, and, and shadows sort of around the jawline um, and that sort of slightly more gaunt appearance where people have lost fat from just in front of their ear and under their cheekbone again can be quite aging so definitely in terms of uh, in terms of weight um, fluctuation it can play a big role in facial aging mm. um, you know 
it's I always say to people, listen, like, you know, if you want to lose weight in a healthy way, it's not going to age your skin in quite the same way. If you want to lose if if you're going to be losing weight very quickly, which is often not a sustainable way of losing Mm. weight, then you're probably more likely to have problems with um, the sort of structure integrity of of the face um, in terms of aging. So, yeah. And and again, putting on weight. we as we get older our, our the, the distribution of our fat pads changes and and we gain a little bit of weight um in some areas of the face and we lose it in others um, that is you know whether you gain or lose weight um from your body you will gain and lose weight from your face no matter what you do even mm-hmm. if your weight stays completely stable elsewhere um, and that's largely hormonal um and and you you tend to gain weight sort of in that what we call the jowl area um, and in the nasolabial fat compartment tends to um, what we call hypertrophy, the fat. Um, and then other areas of the face, so under the cheekbone, um, in the mid cheek, um, we start to atrophy fat. So that means we lose it. Um, and that is one of the really, the really big part of the anatomy of aging and what I see a lot of um, in my sort of men- pre-menopausal and menopausal women often that's what they're coming in um, worrying about and that's largely due to fat redistribution in the face so it plays a big role actually in facial aging that does and we're going to come on to actually understanding about that in a second and before we Mm -hmm. do that I'd love to just make sure that we're covering all the things that we can try and not control but that we have Mm. control over so what would be your best kind of skincare routine because there's so many things Mm. out there that I read about you know cleansing is really important how important is exfoliation then there's all these tools and I have to say like I have them as well I can't say one of them but I can say a jade roller which is that one that you can put in the fridge and helps de-puff you (laughs) Um, and then what's the other one called the the gua sha (laughs) the gua sha as a dyslexic I was not going to attempt to say that the gua sha and all of these tools where obviously this is a moment what I feel is quite a buzz topic and I see so many yeah. media using them I've mm. used themselves there's mm. places like face gym where you go um so like do these work what is kind of the best skin routine and are mm. they going to make you look younger mm. great questions again really topical at the moment um so yeah if you sort of think about what we've spoken about in terms of the the kind of anatomy of aging and and the um the, the reason why our skin and our the structure and texture of our face changes, um, no amount of like massage and jade rollering is going to be able to stop that from happening really. Okay. Um, but what I would say is a lot of those tools are very good for um, lymphatic drainage, for improving the circulation to the skin. And all of that is good for your skin health and therefore good for sort of age prevention. But I think you must, Uh, before sort of you know because some of these tools can be quite expensive before spending a lot of money on these things just be aware that you know the limitations of it are that um, and it's not going to stop your uh, collagen um, depleting enzymes from working and it's not going to prevent UVA from damaging your skin and it's not going to stop that hormonal element of um, fat redistribution in the face so they have their limitations but they you know there are benefits to them definitely um remind me of the first bit of so your the question. skincare routine because when I buy the so we're going to go on to microderma needling in a minute but mm. when I kind of am looking at my skincare routine I've, I've always been told from being especially in the modeling industry how important it is to, to cleanse my face properly and how often I should exfoliate and then using certain things like um, alpha hydroxy on the skin or retinol mm-hmm. on the skin but then my mum mm. always told me 
please don't use retinol on your skin very young because actually it's not good for you. So mm. there's so many different things where we're always seen and the beauty industry is a huge industry coming out saying mm. use these things on your skin like can you use too much like what would be mm. your advice for your best skincare routine um on how someone should approach this should they be buying all of these different I guess skincare treatments yeah so, does it have any evidence yes yeah, so, so yeah so, so so a lot of these do have quite a bit of evidence behind them um Again, it's going to be slightly different depending on what your skin is like, what your skin type is like, how old you are as to as to what's appropriate for your skin, right? But the three things really that I that I would focus on for age prevention or anti-aging would be obviously a sunscreen, like we've already touched on today. So, so every single day, a standalone sunscreen that has UVA and UVB protection. So SPF is just for UVB. Um, and the star rating is for UVA protection. Okay, most of them have both protections mm. in them. So a standalone sunscreen is absolutely the most important thing. Then retinols are one of the the, the most studied and probably we've got the biggest evidence base for for um, age prevention and anti aging. It's one of the few things we know that if you put it on your skin, it will help with skin resurfacing which declines as we get older um but also uh with with helping produce collagen mm. so we know that prescription strength uh what we call tretinoin um, or retin a um is one of the other brand names for it um we know that that is one of the few things that really does um, help you produce more collagen as you get older so if you can introduce that to your skincare routine it doesn't have to be every night and in fact most people wouldn't tolerate it every night um but, but it, it should will be definitely night, help it? because obviously yes so, so there damage. are some yes exactly so there are some formulations that which are safe to use in the day but the vast majority of them are for designed for use after you've cleansed your skin you put a layer of your of whatever retinol you're going to be using retinoid you are going to be using um and then you know whatever night cream or moisturizer or whatever so the things i would spend money on are sunscreens um a good retinoid um now it the, the the amount of retin the the, the amount of um, retin A that is in um, a particular retinoid um, within things it becomes really quite complicated. So it will really vary as to concentration and potency as to as to how much you're putting on your skin depending on the brand um, and where you're buying it from. I tend to prescribe. Um, the um the, the prescription strength which is which is tretinoin which you can only get by prescription um, and the reason for that is that's what all the studies are done on um i know that it's the cheapest option largely for most people um, um and you know you know you're going to get good results with it and we're not at, at not completely breaking the bank and um, mm. there are good over-the-counter ones so things like um uh, Zaina Baji does a very good retinol range. SkinCeutical does a very good retinol oh, range. Yeah. They're quite strong, a lot of these. Yeah, I, they're really good. Um, and you can get them from most kind of beauticians or spas or, or you know, medispas or whatever. Um, things I probably wouldn't spend my money on are things you can buy over the counter with no skincare advice because by definition, they're not a drug. They are, um, uh, you know, a sort of they can't make any scientific claims about the skin um, and they can't uh, they they don't need to provide clinical evidence for um, skin improvement with the retinol that they're using so I'm not saying that they don't work but what I'm saying is that often you're paying a lot of money for a brand um, and that you will you'll never be able to get good evidence from that brand to suggest that actually what it's 
it's saying what it does on the tin, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of budget wise, I would say stick to ones that are um, medically recommended. OK, so we've got SPF, we've got retinol, use mm -hmm. that in the evening and then obviously yeah. definitely wear SPF the next day because that's then going to obviously cause Absolutely. skin damage otherwise. Anything else people should be yes. including in their skincare routine? Yeah, so 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 a good antioxidant serum. So L-ascorbic acid or vitamin C is probably the most popular that's out there. Um, and using that under your sunscreen, there's quite a lot of evidence now that um, it's very good at mopping up those free radicals that are formed when we have DNA damage from UVA. So the thing that is causing the, the damage to your skin, the UVA, goes into the skin, causes what we call react reactive oxygen species. That react then reacts with the, the DNA in the skin, and that's what leads to, to skin damage, sun damage. Okay, So we know that putting a good antioxidant on the skin helps mop up those free radicals, those are oxygen species, and therefore it, they, they're not available then to damage the skin's DNA. So using a good L-ascorbic acid or vitamin C, vitamin E is also a really good um, antioxidant. Um, things like fluoritin, um, ferulic acid, they're all really, really good um, antioxidants that, that I would wear every day under sunscreen. Um, my favourite brand for, the, for, for um, antioxidants is SkinCeuticals. I, I, I have absolutely I no tie one. to any of these brands, by the way. Yeah, yeah I, I recommend them because I love them. And I think that I have to say they are expensive, um, but mm. They work and and they last actually quite a long time. The, the bottle looks quite small, but it lasts for several months. So, um, and they've they stabilised it very well, which is hard to do with 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 um, with antioxidants. So, um, yeah, a good antioxidant under your sunscreen and then a retinol at night. I think, to be honest, it's is the best you can do. Obviously, for skin resurfacing, if you have dull skin, dry skin, um, then, then resurfacing is important. So using things like AHAs, like glycolic acid, or if you have congested skin, things like salicylic acid, which is a BHA, um, or if you have sensitive skin, a, a polyhydroxy acid, um, very gentle exfoliating, um, are all great to, to, to leave your skin looking brighter. And there is some evidence also that it helps with, with um, prevention of skin aging as well. But I would say that's sort of falls slightly further down my list of like must-haves. Okay, well, that's really interesting because you've mentioned something that I think is hydrochloric acid, which I called you about the other day regarding microneedling. Now, it's something that I know you mm. really like. And I, God, I feel like I'm so late to the game, but I've only heard about this recently. <laughs> so I'm all of a sudden like, I need to get a microdermaneedling um roller um and you can basically get ones at home that you can use which i've been using or you can go in and see somebody mm -hmm. like you that can give you microdermis yeah. um in clinic now first of mm -hmm. all for many latecomers to the party like me what is microdermis needling <laughs> <laughs> So, so microneedling is the introduction of very fine needles into the skin. And the whole purpose of it is to induce a controlled trauma to the skin so that you are activating fibroblasts, which make collagen and elastin. But you're also your your body is releasing things like growth factors um, and and the 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 cells within the endothelium, so endothelial like growth factors um, and stem cells from um, from blood vessels which then go on to heal that um, that micro trauma to the skin and therefore produce more collagen, more elastin, more hyaluronic acid. So in simple terms, that's what it does. It's brilliant for um, 
you know, producing more collagen. So in a lot of places, they call it collagen induction therapy. It's usually microneedling that they're talking about. Um, it's great for breaking down scar tissue. If someone has acne scarring or, or, or surgical scars, it's great for breaking down that tissue and again, producing more collagen. Um, and it's good in some, for some people, it's quite good at breaking down superficial pigmentation um, as well. So by doing all of these things, often it leaves the skin looking a bit fresher, uh, resurfacing the skin, but also helping prevent and treat fine lines and scarring on the skin as well. So it's a bit of a, um, a it's it's a really popular treatment in clinic. Um, I would say that's a buyer's beware for me on home microneedling um, in that most microneedling rollers are actually only designed to be used once now they won't tell you that in the branding and the marketing obviously because they want you to buy it and reuse it but there's an element of um of 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 sort of hygiene uh, that i that, that i worry about slightly with these reusable rollers in that you really you should be using sterile needles for this rather than ones that you're reusing at home but the other thing is because the steel that is used um, is only really meant to be used once for these for these rollers often once you've used it once the needles then become blunted bent and you're therefore more likely to make micro tears in the skin which obviously is not good for your skin so i'd be really really careful with using at home micro needling devices um and the other thing is often they aren't they, they will do some good obviously but they're not going that deep um so when you're coming into clinic you're using ones that are going sort of to nearly three millimeters which is a lot deeper so yours is probably what like 0.5 or something is it i use and again only, i think i don't mind saying the brands these because i'm not getting paid by them but i use the face gym one and they are mm-hmm. reusable they're not reusable so you use it once and you have to chuck it away so i'm so pleased yes. that you said yeah. that because yeah. i was thinking God, I'm going to spend a lot of money because I have to keep buying them. Um, exactly. But actually, yeah. that's the right thing. Um, yes, I think mine yeah. are quite light, though. I don't think that. I mean, I've just started. Um, and I think mm-hmm. I read on your blog about the difference between at home and, and in clinic. And I wasn't sure if there was a yeah. difference between it. But obviously, there is. You go much deeper in clinic. They do. And 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 the one, for instance, the device I use isn't a roller. So again, the problem with a roller is that often you can drag it across the skin. If you're not doing it completely perpendicular to the skin, it can drag and again cause those micro tears. So I, I personally use uh, what we call a microneedling pen in clinic where um, the needles stamp rather than roll. Um, and that for me, um, firstly, it's much deeper than anything you could do at home safely. Um, but also you, it's just much gentler in terms of drag across the skin. It doesn't drag the needles across the skin in the same way that a derma roller would. Well, this is really interesting. I know what I'm going to have to do next week is come and see you. <laughs> um, and so You're always I welcome to come and see me. <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those things that I'd never heard of. And it's quite nice because it's obviously not surgery. It's not invasive. It's not cheap. It's just obviously yeah. helping produce. It's a bit, I would say it's like a little step further on than a facial. A lot of people have this with facials as yeah. well. So it's that nice in-between treatment. But I'd say when we're getting to the other end of the spectrum where people are actually now coming to see you for aesthetic reasons, I kind mm. of want to finish the podcast off with this because now you and I grew, grew up pre-social media. And so I don't think I was you as did. apparent to people that were having plastic surgery were more the Hollywood A-list stars that I would see in magazines. Yeah, absolutely. I completely done. agree. Yeah. And that's how I've always looked at plastic surgery. You know, the A-listers getting it done, maybe getting a facelift, X, Y, and Z when they're older. Now, I feel 
with the Kim Kardashian era, the social media era coming up, uh-huh. everyone uh-huh. is getting things like lip fillers, Botox. I mean, the range of, of treatments on available is so broad, but it's now so available to everybody. And now it's uh-huh. not unusual for some you to know somebody who's had something done. But it seems to be, uh-huh. people seem to be younger and younger and younger and younger uh-huh. regarding um, aesthetics. And I am all for, as, as I know you are, people getting something if they feel like it's going to help their self-confidence and it's been really upsetting them for a while. Or, you know, I think it's very much down to that individual choice. But I think for me, and in my opinion, what I feel is worrying is, is the social media side of things where people, and tell me if this is true or not, but I've been reading a lot of people saying Snapchat filters are having a big influence on yeah. reconstructing their face I looked at and we spoke about this I looked at the friends reunion which I loved oh, seeing it yeah but when I when they came in I thought what the hell have they done to their faces yeah apart from mm. Joey all of them yeah. looked yeah. awful yeah. and they just yeah. they didn't look good you know and you obviously go yeah. to have these things to make you feel better but mm. then you can kind of see where it can really go wrong. Mm, mm. So, you know, can you can you talk to me about like, you know, how have you you've obviously seen it change if you've been doing this a decade, you know, what's the mm. worrying side of having these done, mm. such as things like the friends mm. reunion or social media, the Snapchat, the filters. Can you explain to me mm. about that? Yeah, I, I completely agree with with what you're saying. I, there are some really worrying um, advances and, and trends that we see um, as a result of increased exposure to things like social media and celebrity we're just more we're more aware of celebrity lifestyle as well aren't we and and just what like you say what's available to us um I agree with you that friends reunion I found I found it quite upsetting actually in some ways because partly because obviously it's a terrible advertisement for what good aesthetic treatments can do for people um, and, and empower and, and empower people to do so as well um, is the other thing. Um, but also it made me feel like um, I was sad for them that they felt under so much pressure to, mm. to, to look young or look younger than they mm. were. And in doing so, they've made themselves look slightly odd, a lot of them. Um, and I agree with you. I think, you know, um, Matt LeBlanc, um, rather maybe just was you know slightly more overweight than when he was doing friends and um, so that's changed his face in terms of like fat content and and Lisa Kudrow the same you know she, she still looked very much herself but some of the other characters I felt did their faces didn't move in a normal way and they that they the like way that they're... was that fillers yeah yeah so yeah. he's had a combination of of, of I think um ne- neurotoxin and uh and and fillers um, and and not done in a particularly, um, in my opinion, a particularly aesthetically pleasing way. Um, but it made me really sad that they were obviously under so much pressure to look good. Yeah. Um, and in doing that, then they've they've obviously overdone it. Um, and and it is something that we see all the time, isn't it? And I think it's a real shame because there is a lot of aesthetic work that gets done that no one ever knows about and no one ever sees. And that's the good aesthetic work um, and the stuff that is empowering and, and the stuff that um, I think, you know, people that's, you know, when someone's searching for, for an aesthetic practitioner, that's the work that they want. Um, you know, they don't want to walk out of a clinic looking 
not themselves um, mm. or, or for instance not their age mm. and if they do want to not look themselves or not look their age for me that's a really big warning sign so and that kind of goes back to that social media filter thing and that really worries me when people come in saying oh I just look really li- nice with this filter and I'm doing this selfie um, and I really like the way my nose looks like this and da 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 and you know they're looking at something that isn't looking like them anymore mm. you know that, that they're wanting to come in essentially trying to look like someone else really and that is you know that's not a good thing mentally um you know the the american academy of facial plastic and reconstructive surgeons did a study it was actually a while ago now um and and they found that even within two years i think it was like 2015 to 2017 um so you know still social media was very prevalent but it's even more so now so goodness knows what these what the data would say now but 10 there was a 10 percent rise in young people wanting to have plastic surgery as a result of um uh, instagram or, or social media filters um and that's this sort of coined phrase snapchat dysmorphia which is sort of you know it's sort of an industry term now and um, because we do see it we see these people coming in um showing a picture a very photoshopped picture of themselves saying that that's what they want to look like and the amount of pressure that people are putting themselves under to look perfect is is really it's really sad actually it's quite scary often yes I agree with you um I think I think often if you that and this goes back to the sort of wanting to look younger than you are and for me again that's a warning sign and like I said right at the beginning age is a privilege we are really privileged to get older and that's not to say that people don't want to look a bit you know refreshed for their age or good for their age that's completely different thing to wanting to look younger Mm. and wanting to look younger for me again is is a bit of a warning sign you know um and 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 like you say it's the people that want to look younger that keep going and getting more and more they jump from practitioner to practitioner get more and more um work done and end up looking I personally thinking I think they look older often like you say um, yeah and it's a huge it's a huge shame but I would say that the vast majority of of um aesthetic treatments uh and, and particularly je- injectable treatments you know to, to look unnatural and to look fake you have to have an awful lot done um mm. and and often it's poor poor placement of products poor product choice um or not understanding the anatomy of aging as well so we've gone from sort of even five years ago i'd say chasing lines you know people used to come in wanting their nasolabial lines filled and and people you know practitioners used to do that whereas now we understand the aging face a lot better and we know that actually if you revolumize other areas of the face it can help lift and and soften those that that sort of nasolabial heaviness by replacing fat and bone loss that you see elsewhere in the face and therefore you get a much more natural refreshing result so there are ways definitely of looking better for your age where you can people shouldn't really be able to tell Mm. and you know the mantra should be looking well rather than looking young I think (laughs) living well being well looking well it's it's all big theme there isn't there there's a massive (laughs) overarching theme and you know I think that maybe there's another podcast to come around understanding the the you know the pros and cons with Botox and fillers mm, and all the things mm. that you work with but mm. I do know we're sadly running out of time and that is definitely going to have to be another podcast following on from this one I think <laughs> there's so many things that people want to know but we can't cover it all in 60 minutes um but I always like to finish and asking and I think this is a great one to, to obviously ask you is you know mm. Catherine how do you live well and be well 
for me, I think living well and being well is a lot about how I feel. So I think for me, doing things that make me relaxed, happy and filled with joy um, are things that make me well. And I know that from personal experience because a lot of and, and one of the reasons I left full time NHS work was I un, underwent terrible mental health difficulties, um, very bad post-traumatic stress disorder, complete burnout. And at that time, I probably was the fittest I've ever been um, in terms of exercise. I probably I could have been eating better, probably, but I, I certainly wasn't eating badly. Um, and uh, you know, I you know, from from the outside, probably I looked successful. Um, you know, but did I feel well? No, not not at all. And I think since I've made big adjustments in my life, and I've I meditate a lot more, and I find joy in small things in the day. Um, you know, I always start my day feeling grateful for whatever the day um, is going to bring me. I definitely was grateful to be talking to you today, Sarah. Uh, <laughs> 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 um but and finding joy in the small things and appreciating what you have um I think for me is about um living and being well um yeah so that, I think that's my that's my personal view on view on it I think that's fantastic you know it is in every podcast it always comes over to the overall well-being and it's not just one simple thing is it it's mm, all entwined and, and you know what you you said about on the outside looking like your best self and actually on the inside not feeling it at all and I think that is the pinnacle of what we look at on social media and it's the pinnacle of the industry that I've been in for 17 years as modeling where on the outside everyone looks perfect and on the inside nobody everyone's struggling and no one feels great um mentally because there's a lot of pressures Mm. so I think it comes in every in every single person social media um Mm. you know things that you see on the outside isn't always as you assume on the inside so absolutely I think that is exactly in line with living well and being well. So thank you for sharing <laughs> that. And thank you for coming on today. Now, for anyone who wants to, obviously, I know how so many people after this are going to be like, where can I read her blogs? Where can I see her? What's her Instagram? <laughs> so can you share all of the information of your website, your Instagram handle, um, where people can find you? Yeah, so my Instagram probably has the most, um, it's where I update things most. Um, and that is at dr so doctor underscore denning uh underscore cosmetic doctor i'll put that on the show notes <laughs> yeah if you put it it's, it's a bit of a mouthful maybe i should rethink that one actually <laughs> <laughs> um but my website is also there and there is there's some like i've got some blogs on there and there's some information about treatments but it's probably less than my instagram and that is www.drdenning.co.uk Amazing. I will make sure I put that all in the show notes. And thank you so much again for giving us so much insight into skin health. Oh, I could have spoken to you for hours on all of those topics. I think it was great. Maybe we'll need to do another, we'll need to do another podcast on, on um, aesthetic treatments. I think we do. I mean, we do. I mean, I've got so many questions that are unanswered. I've really (laughs) got to do another podcast. It's going to be coming a hundred percent. (laughs) thank you so much for having me I've really loved being on the podcast oh thank you 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode surrounding skin health. And if there is any further information you need regarding what we discussed today, please do look at the show notes. And until next week, I hope that you all live well and be well. Before you go, I have something new to tell you about. There's brand new bonus content waiting for you with every new guest I speak to. These are exclusively for my inner circle of Apple subscribers. To listen now, head to the Live Well, Be Well show page on Apple Podcasts, where you can activate your free trial and you can enjoy the podcast without adverts.